All right, Tim, we are back with the Appetite for Construction bonus, Friday bonus edition. How you doing, Tim? Cold. Damn cold. Oh, boo-hoo. Yeah, boo-hoo. You're, you're, up in northern, you're up in northern Wisconsin. It's, I know you said it was going to be single digits there. It's just a little bit chilly here in central Illinois. I'm, uh, as I was saying earlier, it's the winter doldrums. I'm yeah. looking forward to being in Vegas later this yeah. weekend and into next week for the KBiz IBS show, but... It's not going to be much warmer there, it seems. Yeah, you know where it's chilly almost all year round? Washington, D.C., Tim. Because, because That's of the a good segue. Yeah. No, um, no we're, we're really excited. We He's been on multiple times, and he's like one of our best guests. So let's bring him on in. Dane Hanson, how you doing, Dane? Hey, Dane. Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome. Appreciate you being with me and joining with me, and let me join you guys again. It's always wonderful. Yeah, so Dane is the Executive Vice President of Government Relations for the IAPMO Group, and he's the hardest working guy. I'm telling you, the hardest working guy in the industry. So, um, you know, it's funny because when I asked you a couple weeks ago if you wanted to jump on the podcast, he said, well, it's pretty busy right now, but maybe in a couple weeks. And at that time, they were uh, voting on the Speaker of the House. Have they figured that out yet? Have they have they passed that vote? <laughs> you know, it seems like Groundhog's Day up there. You know, I think yeah, for days it's another vote, the same outcome. Yeah. And what, what do you say? The definition of insanity is the same thing over and over again. We're expecting a different results. <laughs> that didn't happen. So uh, they have a Speaker Isn't now. Isn't that something like maybe, maybe I'm not cut out for it like 15 times and it's just beyond me but anyway they 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 resolved it so they finally resolved it and now they have a speaker so dane does that affect your daily activities whatsoever i mean new new congress new people that you've got to work with but i mean what are your day-to-day activities if they're changed at all Really, it's not, you know, that's a great question. It doesn't really change too often um, or too much. You know, part of the reason is, is that we've really tried, you know, we've worked hard across not just the IAMA group, but across the industry to position our issues as nonpartisan. You know, the messaging may be different, but the issues fundamentally are nonpartisan issues. You know, we're not coming in talking about Second Amendment rights. We're not coming in talking about abortion. Like, these are just inherently partisan issues. We're coming in and talking about construction. We're talking, I am, we're talking about water quality. We're talking about water safety. We're talking about the safety of buildings. And, you know, these are just apple pie, you know, like these are, this is just easy stuff. Um, but I think that the, the messaging has to be nuanced a little bit. You know, when you're talking with, you know, a Democrat or you're talking to um, whether it be even the legislature um, at the state legislature, you know, you have to position it in a way that appeals to them. You know, if you're talking with people in, you know, a more progressive state, you have to talk about what are the benefits the industry are playing to climate change or how is the building, how are the homes being more efficient or how are the built materials being more sustainably used or whatever the messaging you're going to mention, mention is. You know, when you're talking to a more Republican art message, you know, it's like, what is the economic drivers behind this? You know, how many jobs is this creating? You know, how many, how, what is the, what is the payback? Of? So, you know, it really doesn't change what we're pushing and trying to support and get Congress to support or state legislatures or governors. But it may just be, you know, how we message it or package it has to be, you know, just to knowing your audience, just like you guys do when you're talking to a guest or talking to people, you have to yeah. know your audience. And that's kind of what we have to do. But fundamentally, our issues, you know, they still go to the same committees. They still result, um, reside in the same members of Congress have an interest in these issues. So, um, yeah, not a whole lot different in terms of our issues, which yeah. is nice. You know, we don't have those 
major pendulum swings like some organizations do, we can stay pretty middle of the road and consistent. Hey, Dane, I just wanted to piggyback off that. Um, you know, there was news recently that uh, the U.S. is going to lend, I don't know, just give 31 Abram tanks to Ukraine to help fight that war over there. And does that make your job harder when things pop up and accessibility, I guess, is limited? Does it does that make your job harder? You know, no, it, you know, it's funny. You know, it, that's a, it's interesting that I get questions like that from family who don't mm-hmm. live in D.C., you know, people who don't really understand the inner workings yeah. of politics because, you know, the, the things that the things that you hear about on, you know, the news alerts, the CNN alerts on, on breaking news, those are just the very, very small vocalized area. You know, Congress introduces 10 to 20,000 yeah. bills a year. Thousands and thousands of bills are happening and things are being moved. You know, you hear about bills being signed all the time, but there's not this big fanfare around pieces of legislation. So there's always going to be these outlier issues, you know, these very loud, you know, outside majority things. And um, that's going to happen. It really doesn't affect fundamentally us too much. You know, obviously it'll distract, but our, our issues are never, you know, unfortunately or fortunately, they're never like the front page news of the CNN. You know, it's not these issues that, you know, it's, it's not these major scandal ridden issues. These are like I said, very, very fundamentally supported issues and all the good things, the positive things you don't really read about or hear about too much that's happening at the governor's level, the state level, the congressional level. Um, but there are a lot of things happening. And so those, those are things that are always happening. And so when I talk to my family, they're like, man, it just seems so dysfunctional. So, and you're like, yeah, the things you're hearing, but you know, there was, there was 25 hearings today on different issues on school funding, on teachers reimbursements or whatever it is. That still yeah. went through. That still passed, and is still happening. So there's still a lot happening, but it just is never mentioned in the mainstream news. So, speaking of good news, um, we're about a year into the bipartisan infrastructure law. Anything new coming down the pike with that? Uh, with spending, I know there's states are starting to see some of the financial resources get into their coffers, and things are starting to roll out slowly, especially the you know roads and bridges issues, but. Anything you're hearing next six to eight months? Yeah, well, you know, this is inter- in, uh, this is a very interesting topic right now because what we're seeing is the money's not coming out fast enough. Right. You know, the money's out there, but states have to go after the money themselves. Mm-hmm. They, you know, it comes through the governor or the legislature. They have to appoint it. So the problem is, is I think there's a few problems here. The money's coming. It's slower than they thought. It's not getting out as quickly. A lot of the, you know, I, I think the, you know, the construction survey, the national the Construction Outlook National Survey just from a few weeks ago talked about, you know, of all the major constru- only 5% of the jobs that these contractors, you know, have gone after are these infrastructure packages. So you're talking about 5% of all these major jobs are only going towards infrastructure. And so there's 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 a bottleneck, if you will, and that's for many reasons. A, the money's not getting out to the projects fast enough. It's not being approved at the state level fast enough. But also, you know, we have a big issue with... Um, just supply. Supply issues are still being hampered, as you guys well know. I mean, we're seeing that was of this construction survey that came out earlier this month was that was the number one issue. All the issues raised, whether it be employment, workers, everything else, the biggest issue has been supply chain. That has been fundamentally one of the biggest issues people face because they can't commit to huge jobs. Um, But I think this is a double-edged sword because we know that the economy is, you know, there's signs of fracturing. Um, We know we could be a a minor recession. It could be major, but most people are now seeing the, the, some of the telltale signs of it not being a major one. It may just be a little hiccup, maybe a little slowdown. 
But the good thing here is that there's just guaranteed money, millions of dollars for several years. So even if there is a little slowdown, there's still going to be a consistent flow. It may not be as quick as we want or as fast as we want, but there's still going to be a consistent flow of projects that people could go after for a long time. I mean, one of the big problems that I see coming is not only supply chain, because I think the money's going to be there and the projects are there. And there's some backlog projects that have been sitting undone for many years because of COVID and supply chain issues, but is the lack of people, the lack of people to fill these jobs. Um, right now, I mean, according to the, the re- most recent U.S. Census, um, there are over two million people that are not back in the workplace. You know, you, you have an, uh, you have you have two million people that are just needed that they just need more people in the work environment, and so that goes across all trades. So that's a long answer to your question, but yeah, I do feel that that the money's out there and it's flowing slowly, um, and it will continue to flow for years, which I think is almost like a security blanket for the industry because if things do slow down a little bit. Um, there should be a little bit of a, a safety net there. Now, I, I mentioned, uh, you know, Dane, you're the hardest working guy out there. You know it. I know it. But, oh, I appreciate you know, that. Um, what, what's hot right now? What are you, what are you working on, on behalf of IATMO? What, you know, what's, what's making waves in, in D.C.? So it's not just in D.C., but across the states, you know, we obviously want to make sure that, you know, you know, People are using the latest and greatest codes and standards. Obviously, IAMO does codes and standards, and we also do certification testing of products. Those are big things that we want to make sure that people are utilizing. We want to make sure they're using the best codes out there. We want to make sure they're using, of course, uniform codes and and the uniform mechanical plumbing, swimming, all the other codes we do. But also, you know, a big part of this is making sure that the products going on to job sites and into buildings and into people need are good products, you know, are, are legitimate, well thought, you know, well non-counterfeit products. And so we love working with our manufacturers on making sure the products meet compliance and are safe because it does, you know, push out, you know, the bottom people, the, the, the bad actors, you know, and lets these legitimate manufacturers in the space compete. Because without it, if you don't have, um, if you have a bunch of counterfeit products of any matter entering the, 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 the market, kind of takes the floor out from underneath these legitimate manufacturers to compete. So, you know, working across industry, making sure that people have jobs in terms of licensing, making sure they're properly licensed and credentialed. So those are some of the big issues. You know, I would say one of the, another big issue that we've been working on recently is of course, you know, a lot of the, the research funding as it goes into the plumbing industry, when it comes into, um, you know, we haven't done a lot of legitimate the federal government, I should say, when I say we, the federal government has not done a lot of research into the Fed, into water or plumbing for years. You know, they, you know, a lot of our measurements are designed based upon 1940s math, 1940s calculations of Hunter's curve, which was Roy Hunter actually at the NIST, National Institute of Standards and Technology, the National Bureau of Standards at the time. Wait a minute. Didn't, didn't Trump uh, talk about when he took a shower, how much water was coming out of the shower <laughs> Yeah, and anytime he opened his mouth about it, that was one of those things. It was like, wow, like that—that's a PR, that's a PR mess for us. And try to figure out, like, and then, yeah, that there, that ran down a rabbit hole. It's like, what are you flushing down the toilet? You're having so much trouble making them work. So that—that anyway. that was a whole another issue. But Sorry. Um, yeah, so but to your point, you know, this has been a big issue. We've been IATMO has really taken the bull by the horns and trying to get the federal government to reinvest in water research. You know, we have you can't turn on the TV or read a newspaper report without seeing Legionella outbreaks or, you know, other pathogens in your water or other difficulties face our system, whether it be dry pipes and other certain areas. A lot of what we're facing is 
Let's get the government invest in this. So we worked with Congress for years, introducing a bill that would reconstitute the plumbing research lab, plumbing research efforts at NISP, which is an agency office under the Department of Commerce. Introduced bills for years, worked with NISP staff, and we fortunately got it into the CHIPS Act, which is a major piece of legislation that passed last year that was signed by President Biden. This included the reconstitution, the establishment of this new plumbing research initiative at NIST. So the, for the first time since it was disbanded in the late 70s, we now have a major federal effort into water and plumbing research. So it's very exciting to see that. Um, I mean, it's a it's a great effort and it shows the, the voice of the industry when you come together on an advocacy issue. So we've been working closely with NIST on their research priorities, on what we can do. And and coincidentally enough, we have a big industry leadership coalition meeting coming up um, in May, which will be held at NIST, NIST headquarters, um, with their leadership. Um, so a lot of the CEOs and executives from the various plumbing industry, construction-related trade associations will be there. That's, uh, that's going to be awesome to see and to uh, participate in that. Absolutely. Dan, I'm curious, how, how important or... How much is climate change on the radar for an organization like Gaiatmo? You know, it's, it's, it's very, very, very high priority for us. You know, we cannot go anywhere. You're even seeing more, you know, before it was very Republican, Democrat-leaning mm-hmm. states, legislature that focused on it. But we're even seeing more, you know, right-leaning states, center-of-the-road right-leaning states that are, this is becoming a bigger issue. I mean, because you can't even come across anything right now that doesn't talk about what is a major threat to humanity, major threat to economy is climate change. What you define as that is different, but I do think fundamentally when it comes to issues, regardless of, you know, um, the underlying circumstances, we are seeing more floods. We are seeing more droughts. We are seeing things. And so within the construction place in our trades, we have to be very cognizant, especially from my like, you know, we focus very heavily on plumbing resiliency. You know, we have an entire initiative that talks about plumbing resiliency, like, what does it mean when your systems, how do, how, how do they withstand a major initial effort, whether it be flood, whether it be drought, whether it be hurricane, what it is, how do your systems get, you know, do they withstand some sort of major issue or how quickly can they be brought back online after a major event, climate event? And so for us, it's, it is, it's very forefront because that's one of the big questions we get is when you're saying, hey, you should adopt a code or a standard or a training or, you know, some sort of credentialing. How does this tie back to the impact of climate change? And so for us, you know, that, that is a very, very critical one. And then we've devoted extensive amount of time, effort, and research into the whole initiative of plumbing resiliency to make sure that our systems are resilient against all areas, which include climate change. And climate affects everyone, not left, not right, yep. but everyone. Yep. Everybody. And now, yep. yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it, it is, like I said, it's near, it is a big deal for us. We are always investing and doing more research on behalf of the IMO group on what else we can be doing to make sure our codes, our standards, and everything that we do is top tier, the most resilient, and, you know, the most, you know, the most efficient with the resources we have. You know, we can't have these, these toilets that we talked about, you know, flushing six gallons, like anymore, you can't do this kind of stuff. So, you know, to be able to look at it from a, a holistic standpoint and looking at it from a systematic standpoint really shows, you know, we, we, there's there's a big argument to be made here, um, especially when you talk about what is the, what is some of the biggest emitters of, of carbon in the entire world are buildings, buildings and, and structures. That's it. You know, you know, we're talking two thirds of almost all carbon emissions come from 
building structures. <laughs> and so, you know, the construction industry is really, and I, it's been impressive to see they really kind of rallied around um, this issue. So, Dane, uh, for those that can't see, you know, we're, we're an audio-only podcast, but um, you're in your office, is that right? I am. I'm in so my office. You don't have Things any. Are open. You don't have any classified documents in there, do you? It's funny you should say that. <laughs> funny you should say that, John. Because I'll tell you why. <laughs> Joe Biden's office, where they raided, is down the hall. Oh. So he. So I don't know if you remember this. I may have told you, but we've had meetings here before. But the the Penn Center is in our building. So the Penn Center, which is where Joe Biden's Penn International Center was, um, was literally down the hall. He was on the sixth floor. So before he was president, we'd always see him walking through the lobby with his dog when he was just, you know, the head working at the Biden Center. You come walking through with his dog and everything. And yeah. little did we know that, you know, all those all those briefing books under his pan may have been classified documents. But in all seriousness, no, it was funny, though, because. So when they when they ran past the your your office, you were just like, whew. I'm like, man, you guys are really interested in, in construction and plumbing issues. You guys are raiding my office. You are going to be experts on codes yeah. and, and all things water. But it was, yeah, for, you know, even yesterday there was still a news broadcaster out here. So you had all their satellite trucks just parked right in front of our office. And they're, so if you Google, you know, Biden's office or classified documents office, it's the IATMO DC office building that shows up. <laughs> so, yep, but we're here. I want to put you on the spot. You don't have to answer this question if you don't want to, but why is DC so dysfunctional? And what you've seen over the years, it just seems like people don't really trust the people that they've even voted in anymore. Why, why is that? You know, I think there's a, A, I, it, it's dysfunctional, but I think it's inherently dysfunctional mm -hmm. and it's almost dysfunctional on purpose. I think it's gotten worse, but it is dysfunctional on purpose. I mean, when you look at the fundamental tenets of government and how it was set up with the checks and balances, it was meant to not have anything become too powerful. Yeah. They didn't want to have Congress have a supermajority and push things through super quickly within a matter of weeks. It was meant to be bogged down. Granted, it's worse now than probably I think anyone has ever seen, but I think it's, you know, even when you look back 30, 40, 50 years ago and you hear about, you know, the lions of the Senate, Lyndon Johnson, like they were filibustering things all the time. They were doing this. It's not on social media. It wasn't on the news because we didn't have TV in the forties and thirties, but you know, it was, it was dysfunctional. I think it's, I think the, in my side, it is more dysfunctional, but I think it's just a larger sounding board for people to, you know, to amplify that dysfunction. Um, they're, they're the, but there's, like I said at the beginning, they're still passing bills. They're still passing legislation there's still like the chips act and this plumbing research you know that was a major initiative for the entire industry to you know look at our water sizing of our systems in our in our country which is important those things are passing um but if you didn't if you just watch the news you'll never know it. you'll you'll think it's completely dysfunction but it is you're right i mean the extremes extremes on both sides are very very loud and they're the ones that get all the attention right now yeah so. john i've talked to you about this i i interned in dc uh, when I was in college for eight weeks, one summer, I thought for sure that's where I wanted to go after college. After eight weeks, I was like, I could never live there. I could never do it. It was just not in my, not in my purview of things that I remotely enjoyed whatsoever. <laughs> so, so Dan, you know, when I watch movies about DC and, and I always see like a scene they're having a, 
you know, a cocktail party somewhere and some <laughs> side side dealings are being done on, you know, in the in the corner. Is that is that can you give us some secrets of like is that what you're doing? Like you're you're going to these highfalutin parties and you're like schmoozing up. <laughs> well, no, I'm sure that I mean that does happen. Fundraising is, you yeah. know, you know, they, they say fundraising is the mother's milk of politics, right? Like that yeah. is that's really that's the that's what that's what breeds it. And so, you know, fortunately you know, the way I am works right now, we don't have a federal PAC. You know, we don't, we don't, a PAC, a political action committee for the listeners who may not know, but a politi- political action committee is one of those things that is required by law in order to con- contribute to federally elected office. Um, so we want to do it. So, you know, there are still those fundraising dinners and fundraising events that do happen. Yeah. You know, we don't have to, we don't really have to get involved in that too much. And, you know, I, like it comes back to, you know, I, I just don't think our issues um, are that partisan, yeah. um, where, you know, we do get the support, you know, there are a, a significant number of members that we don't really need to be doing these backroom deals with to try to get them to support, you know, water conservation or water quality, or, you know, the importance of construction codes and making sure buildings stay safe and reliable. So, um, yeah, that definitely does happen. Like it's, I mean, just like we saw with the speaker's election, yeah. you know, those are all backroom deals being cut. What committee can I get on? Yeah. What you, you come fundraise for me? I'm not going to vote for you till you do this. I mean, what pictures that, do you that, have? That, <laughs> yeah, yeah. What pictures do you have of me with whom? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. It's not far fetched, but. No, uh, absolutely. Um, well, cool. I know um, we just wanted to get you on. You, you've been a regular guest, you've been very kind with your time. We always appreciate having you on. And uh, he's our he's our he's our pulse of D.C. We've got to have him on at least once a quarter. No, I'm happy to do it. It's always good to chat. And I mean, because I mean, there are good signs out there. You know, I, I, it's good to be able to be on here and chat with you guys. But there are a lot of cool things happening. Yeah. You know, there's great things in the industry. There's great progress. I mean, just the the Home Builders Index just ticked up for the first time in a year. Yeah. I mean, so everyone was expecting the exact opposite, and that just ticked up again. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're seeing well, – there are some good signs, but some fracturing. But, you know, for I think the listeners that you hear, there are, don't watch the, the news and, and think all is lost because there's still a lot of good things happening and people doing really good work to, on behalf of the industry. Amen to that. Well, Dane, thank you very much. You're the best at what you do, and uh, we look forward to the next conversation. Thank you. Thanks, Dane. Hey, thanks so much, everybody. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, John.